Hey everybody, you're listening to episode one of the Aspiring to the Median podcast, where we discuss managing money in light of the gospel. Today we have an awesome episode for you, packed full of content all around the question, what is aspiring to the median? Let's get started. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. We're super excited about today's episode because it is our very first episode, and we're going to be talking all about the Aspiring to the Median movement. But before we jump into things, I just wanted to give a little bit of background on who we are. Like I said, my name is Cody, and I'm a financial planner, so I spend my days helping people manage their money. I live in Maryland with my wife, Stephanie, and our two dogs and our cat. I grew up in a Christian household but my faith really began to grow after graduating from college and has come to shape much of what I do. Together, Keelan and I co-founded Aspiring to the Median about a year ago. Keelan is a resident in ear, nose, and throat surgery in Philadelphia. He's also a father of four and a foster parent along with his wife, Allison. He has a strong faith and also happens to be my brother. So Keelan, I know your story is pretty woven into how Aspiring to the Median got started, so why don't you get us started with a little background? Yeah, thanks, Cody. So my story really started towards the end of college or in the couple of years just afterwards where God really started to lay on my heart the idea that everything that we have, all the wealth, any money that we have, all belongs to him, that it's all his in the end. And out of everything that he owns, he chooses each of us to be a manager over a small portion of that. To some, he might give a lot and to some, he might give a little But the important thing is that we are responsible for whatever portion he gives us and to use it on his behalf. And so I think from that core belief, uh, he really started to grow my uh, heart for generosity and just wanting to be a part of the things that he was doing all around me. And at the same time, he also began to work in my wife's heart, Uh, even before we were married, uh, when we were engaged and uh, drawing her into a lot of the same kind of beliefs and convictions. And so in those first couple of years after college, uh, we had a double income and we had plenty more than we needed. And so we were able to start giving to some causes and and some mission projects that, that were laid on our hearts. And God continued to stretch us every few months and every time we would get comfortable at a new level and he would stretch us again and continued that way for a while. And then the first big change came about when I actually went back to school for med school. And we had to come to a big decision about whether to continue that level of giving, knowing that we were going to be taking out some big tuition payments to cover med school. And so after a lot of talk back and forth, we cut down our giving to really just our core commitments, but still had that desire and that drive to be able to get back to those things that he had laid on our hearts um, as soon as possible. And so we went through med school and towards the end of med school, I remember talking with my wife, Allie, and we were just looking towards the next five or 10 years and noticing what an interesting financial path through life that doctors and and physicians take. Uh, So first there's the four years of undergrad taking on 
loans and debt, and then four more years of med school, taking on even more debt. And then there's uh, residency, which ranges anywhere from three to seven years, uh, where you're, you have a set, you know, modest salary. And then suddenly after residency, you become a practicing physician and your income can go up three, four, five times overnight. And I think as a Christian, it's, it can be very difficult to navigate those huge jumps in income well. And so we weren't at that point yet, but we were looking towards those points in the future and just wanting to navigate those jumps wisely. And also at the same time, noticing that uh, in med school, living on very little to try to make all of our tuition payments without having to take out significant debt, we we were pretty happy as we were. And so that's what really started the hunt for some kind of a objective benchmark. How can we prevent ourselves from lifestyle inflation and, and that kind of slow creep of growing what you need just to be happy? And so we went through a couple iterations of that uh, and using websites that weren't really meant for that, but that kind of helped to give an idea of what living expenses should expect to cost for different regions of the country. And so we went through a couple of different systems like that and would try to set different benchmarks for what our spending should be with the idea that anything over that amount we would give away. And each one kind of had its drawbacks and didn't quite fit right. Uh, we knew, As we were going through this process, we had our first daughter and knew that we were planning on having more. And so the idea that the system needed to be able to handle a growing family size and take that into account. And we also knew that with just normal inflation over time, our benchmark needed to be able to grow over time to, to keep up with the normal expenses of life. And so over time, we eventually started to settle into the system that we use now on the Aspiring to the Median website and in the the online calculator that we have, which is based on the U.S. household income data from the census. And we're able to look at all the data through the country on household income and see where our current spending fits into that. And so that was really helpful for us. We were able to do that for several years. And eventually our income, me as a resident and her as a photographer, we were able to pass that limit that we set for ourselves and we were able to start using that money above that limit for other purposes and to be able to start getting back into the giving and the commitments that we had before med school. And so it was really being able to find that benchmark, find that line, again, based in the household income data from the census, that was where we really started to get into our stride. At some point along the way, I started to notice that you were doing things a little bit differently financially. And I was just getting started in my career as a financial planner. And I learned all of the tips and tricks of the industry about how to save here and invest there. And um, I started to talk to you a lot about all of this stuff because I found it very interesting personally. But I also noticed that you operated independently of what the worldly wisdom was. And that was just so interesting to me. So we started to have lots and lots of conversations over a period of years. And I started to learn more about where you 
sourced some of these ideas, and uh, I learned that it really comes from Scripture. And this lined up perfectly with the time that I was starting to dive into Scripture myself and take ownership over my own growth in my faith. So all of these things really came together, and we had some really, really great discussions in your kitchen, I remember. And I, I wanted to participate in what you were doing because it was different. It was it was inspiring. And so fast forward to this year, and we've started to really build out a practical way to implement some of this for anybody. And that ultimately led to a decision for Stephanie and I to commit to our own benchmark. And that has yielded some really interesting changes in the way that I view work and money and really everything in life. And I've discovered that it's it's infectious. It's something that I want to get the word out about. And that's really what led to the creation of a website and this podcast because we want to get the word out and share the same message with other people because we believe it it really does improve your life. But I want to come back to the manager idea that you mentioned earlier. Can you just explain that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah, so I think that that has really become the core foundation behind everything that we're doing, both in our personal lives in how we manage our own finances and, and our giving, and also in how we frame the, the whole aspiring to the median movement, the website, and everything that comes along with it. And what I've noticed over the last year, just getting introduced to and, and hearing stories about people who are living incredibly generous lives, is that they all, without fail, come back to this same idea and concept that Everything we own, all of our money, and all of our wealth fundamentally belongs to God, that we have no ownership in it. And instead, we are more like managers, where God has chosen some amount of his wealth for each of us to manage. And so when you go through that mental shift from everything I have is mine because I earned it and I worked hard for this and because I put in effort to earn what I have, to... God has graciously given me what I have, and even the hard work that I've put in is only because he has given me the ability to work hard or the upbringing to make me a hard worker. That just radically changes how you view what you have, how you view your finances, and what you do with it. And so going along with that manager idea, every manager has a fee of some sort. You know, if you put your money into some sort of investment account with a manager, there's going to be some fee that comes along with that. And it's the same when God gives us a portion of his wealth to manage. We have our living expenses. And so we're going to have to use some portion of that in order to meet our daily needs for ourselves, for our families, to pay our rent or our mortgage, to pay for our food. But that isn't the ultimate purpose of everything that he gives us, that he has much greater plans in mind. And so along with that operational cost idea as a manager, you know, we feel it is important to figure out what that cost should be for our own life. And so basically that's answering the question, how much money do I need for myself and my family, regardless of how much income I have or how much money comes through my hands? How much do I need to live on? What are my operational costs? And once you can start to answer that question, 
then you can start to use everything else for a much greater purpose. And, and so when you start to use this kind of mindset that there are an operational cost that you take out of the money that God puts into your control, then it really starts to change your view of so many different aspects of life and of finances. A big one that it changed for us is how we view work. So as a resident physician, I don't really have any control over my hours or how much time I'm required to be at work. But Allison, my wife, is a a wedding photographer and a family photographer. And so she owns her own business. Everything she does is completely at her discretion. She doesn't have to take any work on that she doesn't want to. And so one interesting result of this kind of a lifestyle is that once our income surpassed that operational expenses limit that we set for ourselves, and we knew that everything over that we are just giving away, the incentive for her to start to take on more and more work really started to decrease. And so the idea of taking that fifth weekend in a row of of weddings just for the income started to become less appealing when she knows she could be at home with her family and and her kids where she wanted to be. And so over the last couple of years, she's really been able to have a really healthy balance with the amount of work that she takes on, that she enjoys and gives her a feeling of expertise and knowing that she's able to provide high quality content for her clients, but also knowing when to say no and and that there's too much going on right now and I need to turn things down. And so I think this lifestyle has really brought clarity to that in her life. And uh, one day when I'm not a resident and I'm a a fully practicing physician in, in practice, I know that I will have that same kind of flexibility to be able to set boundaries. And Steph and I actually experienced a similar kind of mental shift in the way that we viewed incentives. Steph is finishing up her master's degree and she was offered the chance to go to school for an additional year, uh, take another year of classes, and she asked me what I thought. And I said, well, what is, what is the result of doing this extra year of graduate school? And we looked it up, and it was it amounted to about a 4% raise. And we did some quick calculations. And having the knowledge that that 4% raise wasn't, actually going to benefit us directly helped us look at it uh, really objectively. Is this a good use of your time? Are you going to spend an additional year? So she had undergrad plus two years of graduate school. Are you going to spend another year in school? Are we going to fork up another year of tuition to get what amounted to not that big of a, a bump and very quickly came to the conclusion that wasn't a good use of her time. And so she was able to really comfortably walk away from that opportunity because it really wasn't an opportunity the way we looked at it. It was kind of a burden. So now I'm wondering, can you just explain a little bit more about the actual process of choosing a limit for your spending? Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, we knew we needed something that was flexible, personal. It worked for different kind of family situations. And 
accounts for family size, and it also needed to account for just the growing economy, the price of rent, the price of gas, the price of milk and bread. All of those things are constantly going up at a small, slow, incremental rate, and we wanted that limit that we set to be able to go up with those things. And so that's where we landed on using data from the census, household income data. So you can basically compare what you are spending on yourself and your family to what the rest of the country is doing. And so we, we actually have a calculator that does all this automatically for you at aspiringtothemedian.com slash calculator. And you can play around with it there. But basically the idea is you enter in some basic data about your family, the family size, your income, that sort of thing. And the calculator will run through all of that household income data and say, if you boiled all of the country down to just 100 families that were all the same size as yours, you would be spending currently more than 60 of them, 70 of them, or more than 30 of them, you know, on the lower end, or more than 50 of them right in the middle somewhere. And basically the the mathematical word for those is, is percentile. So if you're spending more than 60 of those 100 families, then your spending is in the 60th percentile. And so that gave us that kind of flexibility and framework to be able to first see where we currently stand. You know, I'm spending more than the vast majority of Americans, or I'm spending a lot less than most people. And then from there, giving the ability to figure out what kind of a limit actually makes sense. And that's going to be different for different people. That's why I don't think either of us would ever propose that everybody should be living with the same kind of limit. Obviously, somebody, me in Philadelphia, or you living in Maryland, or somebody living in the Midwest somewhere, it's all going to be very different. And so this just gives a framework to see where you currently stand and to pick some kind of an objective limit there. And so that's the first step is kind of choosing a limit. And then from there, the next step is starting to structure your life in a way where once you start having more money coming in than that limit that you set, that you're actually setting that money aside in a separate bucket of some kind, a separate bank account or some way to set that aside and designate as not intended for yourself and your family. And then you can begin to use that for the different sorts of purposes and callings that God begins to lay on your heart. And so that's the rough structure of how the aspiring to the median movement is all put together. And obviously, every stage of that brings up 100 more questions. And we're going to get into all those questions over the next several weeks. But that's the, I think, the uh, 10,000 foot view. So just to summarize, the goal is to determine what kind of a lifestyle is most appropriate for you and your family. And the calculator just takes in all of the data and spits out a number that you can use to figure out what it costs to fund that lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. So just for our listeners, give us a couple examples of different incomes and family sizes so they can start to get a feel for how the percentiles play into things. Yeah, sure. 
So uh, just looking on the calculator here, if you, if you were to use a family of two, you know, husband and wife or something like that, if their combined income is around $40,000 a year, right now, this year, that puts them in about the 37th percentile. So for other similar sized families across the country, they'd be spending more than 37 of those 100 families. If that family of two was making $60,000 a year, they'd be in the 53rd percentile, spending more than 53 out of those 100 families. And for $80,000 a year, that put them in the 66th percentile. And so changing it up and looking at a family of four, maybe a husband, wife, and two kids, 60000 a year of combined income puts them in the 36th percentile, or they, they spend more than 36 out of 100 families of that size. 80000 a year puts them in the 47th percentile, and 110000 a year puts them in the 62nd percentile. And if anybody's interested, you can see the full breakdown of how all the math works out and the statistics on the website, again, at aspiringtothemedian.com slash methodology. But I really encourage you to, to play around with the calculator uh, because I think it really brings a lot of insight to where you already stand with things. Now, what I love about the whole percentile structure is that it gives us a framework to orient our lives and our expenses and our giving around. Without an intentional financial structure in our lives, we'll always tend to slip in and out of generosity depending on what's going on. And so when we make that decision up front and just set a limit, rather than forcing yourself to make hundreds and hundreds of little decisions along the way, which is exhausting, you can just come back to that decision that you've already made. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where the whole idea of, of that separate bucket of this money is not intended for me and my family comes into play because once your income passes that limit that you set, then you're slowly filling that bucket on the side, knowing that it has some purpose, even if you don't know exactly what it is yet. And without some kind of structure like that, every time God places an opportunity into our lives to be a part of something that he's doing through our finances, we have to make the conscious decision that we are going to sacrifice something else that we had intended for our our money in order to be a part of that. But when you have some kind of a system like this in place where you already have money set aside and designated to invest in the things that God cares about, then when God opens up those doors, you're ready to take action and everything is set in motion. And And your eyes are actually opened, I think, much more frequently to those kind of opportunities. I know that's been the case for Allie and me, and I think you would agree with uh, what you and Steph have walked through as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one question in a lot of people's minds at this point, because it definitely was a question for me, is if I set a limit for my spending and my expenses and you're starting to set aside the excess, then what do you do with all of the excess? Yeah, and and that's kind of been a growing process over the years as well. I think one of the ways that Allie and I have started to really frame that question in our minds is there's a couple main buckets that really anybody's going to be putting that kind of money towards. The first is your own relationships. So these are people that you know, people that you care about, or even people that 
you are just acquainted with. You know, maybe that means giving a extra tip to your postman in the holidays or something like that. Or maybe it's something more deep and intentional like covering rent for somebody who just lost their job and is in between jobs at the moment or or providing meals for a family that's new parents or something like that. And so that's the first kind of category that we see things, relationships, people that God directly puts into our lives. The second broad category is community, and that's our neighborhood, our city, our county, uh, whatever you kind of view as your core community. I know for us, it's the city of Philadelphia. God has brought us here. We've been here for eight years now, and we have really come to love our city and and deeply care for it. And there are there is a lot of tangible ways to support our city. There is a lot of needs. We actually live one zip code away from one of the hungriest zip codes in the country. And our church is deeply involved with providing meals throughout the city. And, and, and so we've been able to be a part of that because of this same kind of system. And then the last big bucket is uh, what we call the Great Commission, which is referring to that final command that Christ left for his disciples before he left the earth, which is to carry the gospel to all tribes and nations and tongues. And so we really view that as one of the core reasons that uh, God doesn't just beam us up to heaven when we become Christians in the first place, that God has left us here to carry the message of Christ to all people. Uh, And so as part of that, we always want some portion of, of our giving and our purpose to be supporting missions work financially, especially missions work to unreached people groups and places where nobody has ever heard of Christ or the gospel. And so those are just a couple big buckets. And I think most people's giving will fall in some proportion to those three buckets, maybe one or two other kind of uh, major buckets out there, but that's at least a starting point. And if you're ever looking for more ideas, you can head on over to the website, at aspiringtothemedian.com slash giving ideas. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of ideas on there, and that's an ever-growing list as we continue to hear about more ways that people are walking alongside with God in their relationships, in their communities, and in fulfilling the Great Commission. So one thing I wanted to make sure that we get to before we wrap up today is the impact program. And so just a little bit of background on the, the, what the impact program is. You know, when we started the Aspiring to the Median movement, we built out the website with the idea of carrying this message and the, the process that took us years and lots and lots of conversations to start to work out in our own lives and try to distill that into a much more straightforward, simpler process for other people to walk through to experience the same kind of things that we had experienced. And there was initially a lot of interest in the website and some of the content on the website, but people didn't really know what to do with it or how to take action. And so there was a bunch of excitement, but nobody knew what to do. And so that's what really inspired the birth of the impact program. So as a quick 
background, the Impact Program is meant for small groups of anywhere from four to eight people. And it's structured kind of like any other small group. I mean, if you look at Christians as a whole, we tend to structure ourselves into small groups of all kinds. That's just, I guess, what we are good at as Christians, making small groups. And so that's the medium that we chose to use to really put all of these ideas into motion. And so the groups meet for about an hour to an hour and a half weekly over eight weeks. And the program walks through everything that we've talked about in much more detail and in a very practical, tangible way where you can actively apply the content to your own personal life and to your own finances as you go. Uh, I know that you've been through a couple of groups at this point, and you're leading one right now. And why don't you give your take on what impact is like for somebody that's just hearing about the program for the first time and what somebody could expect in getting involved? Yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with these groups, actually. I was part of the first group, which uh, we've made a lot of updates since then for the better. Uh, but it's it's really interactive, and they've been anywhere from five people to eight people, and we just dive right in from the beginning, and we start talking about some of these tough subjects that have to do with finances, and it's all straight from Scripture. You find Bible verses every week, and that's that's really what we always come back to. And it's really got me grounded, and it's refreshing for me every time I go through the content and get new perspectives from different people. And, and like you said, it's eight weeks, but there's so many questions that come up along the way. The idea of the of the program is to provide that framework that we talked about earlier so that anyone who goes through this course has all the tools they need to start to make these decisions on their own as they go through life. I'm, I'm a big fan of the program and I'm going to continue leading programs as long as I can manage it. And we really built it so that anyone could pick up the materials and lead a group on their own. You don't need any prior training or prior knowledge. It's right on the website for you and it can be downloaded for free. And that's, that's so much of what I love about it. Yeah. And, we designed it like that specifically so that there are no barriers to somebody who's really engaged and interested in some of these topics to getting started. If you can find a couple people to meet with you, then you can go through an impact group on your own. You don't need somebody who has gone through the program before, and you don't need a trained leader or facilitator of any kind. Uh, and you can actually find all of the materials completely free on our website, aspiringtothemedian.com slash impact. There's a ton of information there for how to start a group on your own, uh, what the group is like, and you can read through the entire program. There's, there's nothing hidden there, and it's all provided for free. Our desire is not to create a business, to generate an income from this program. Everything is completely free. Our only desire is to help other people walk through the same process that God has brought us through with a lot less trial and error. And so it's been a lot of fun, and I'm excited to keep working with Impact for many years to come. So we realized that the hundreds and hundreds of hours of conversation and studying the Bible, it was 
what brought us to this decision to implement a, a limit for our own expenses. But when talking to other people about it, although it was interesting, it was, it was too much of a transition to go from, from A to B after a, a short conversation. So we really distilled the key points and the most practical and helpful information from all those hours of conversation over the last few years and put it into an eight-week program that you can use to make decisions in your own life as soon as you finish the program. Yeah, and I think another important point related to that is that these kind of big life decisions have to happen in the context of relationship and conversation. You know, it's really hard to read a bunch of instructions and content and stuff and then just go implement major life changes in your life. It didn't happen that way for me. You know, that was me walking through this process with Allie over a long time and a lot of trial and error. And it didn't happen that way with you or Steph. You know, you and I were talking all the time about these ideas before it really started to settle in and, and you guys came up with the with your own structure for your lives. And so I think that's the way that God likes to work with us is through other people, through gentle prodding and pressure and stretching us through conversation and through hearing other stories. And that's why we chose this kind of group format as opposed to just reading a book or something like that. And clearly it's been yielding a lot of fruit. It's been a lot of fun to hear all the different stories and conversations that have come out of these groups. So that's where we want to wrap it up for today. Just as a quick recap, everything belongs to God and we are simply in charge of a small portion of it. We believe that there's a way to determine how much you need for yourself, and we're going to spend the next several weeks unpacking what it looks like to do just that. And hey guys, we don't make a cent off anything that we produce. Everything here is 100% free for you and always will be. But we're very passionate about gospel-centered personal finance. If you're getting a lot out of these conversations and want to help us out, the best thing you can do right now is to leave us a review on iTunes. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you're the first to know when new episodes come out. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Remember, we have a whole bunch of topics that we want to get through and people we want to talk to. So join us again soon. Mm-hmm.